Good to see all of you here once again tonight. Now, I told you we're going to do Jude in three weeks, and I was wrong. There's no way I can do it justice. I am going to finish next week. But I, I, I just, I wanted to really teach it. So tonight, we don't wrap it up. We're going to wrap up Jude next week, so it'll be a four-week. Now, let me ask a quick question. When that's done, I got to go somewhere. And I've been praying. Now, let me just ask you straight up. If I were to do a, a, a series on how to understand your Bible now, and I approach it through the covenants, that is, God gave seven covenants in the Bible. So I would want to deal with those seven covenants, what they were, and what kinds of covenants there are. And then I want to deal with, with the difference between the old and the new. Because I think the Old Testament messes more Christians up than any single thing. So uh, I want to show you the difference and what we can apply to the New Testament and what we can't, what we shouldn't, what we don't want to. So if I did a series on how to understand your Bible, would you like that? Would you? Okay. Because I, I, I did one once on how we got our Bible, but that's different, how to understand the Bible. I think a lot of Christians are just perplexed by the Bible. We have a few verses that we love, but when it comes to understanding the whole warp and woof and what the whole thing means, how it all comes together, we're clueless. And I don't want our church to be clueless about the one book we ought to know better than any other book. Amen? Amen? Okay, well, that's pretty positive, so you would like it. Amen. Okay. That may be where I go. All right, let's pray. And tonight, I'm going to talk to you about the, the apostate's doom. Doesn't that sound edifying? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Now, Lord, we approach the book of Jude with uh, respect, with um, awe. We know this is the very word of the living God. And so, Lord, we... We do take off our shoes, as it were, for we're standing on holy ground as we go into the holy word. Lord, we need the Holy Ghost to open our understanding, to bring this home to us, to help us to get it and be changed by it. So, Lord, we ask you to renew our minds, renew our hearts, to bring, uh, Lord, a, a transformation in our soul and in our thinking. And we thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes to what we're living and facing today in light of the word of God. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to my heart. <clears throat> I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, good to see you tonight. This is gonna be good. <clears throat> Amen. Probably going to need a water up here um, if I could get one. Amen. <clears throat> Thank you, Aaron, who prayed over the offering like it hadn't been prayed over in a while. All right, last time we ended with looking at three men mentioned by Jude. And they were Cain and Balaam and Korah. Now, those three men were used as illustrations of modern-day apostasy and what exactly it attacks. Cain represents apostasy's attack 
on the salvation of God. He said, I'm going to approach God my way, not his way. Balaam represents apostasy's attack on the sovereignty of God. Korah on the service of God. Now, the reason this whole issue of contending for the faith once delivered to the saints matters so much to Jude and the other apostles is because apostasy directly attacks the person and work of the Lord Jesus. Amen? Apostasy damns souls to eternal lostness and destroys the pillars of truth upon which the church stands. Now, understanding this makes it easier to understand Jude's fierce attack against the apostates themselves and their false message. He's furious about it. And sometimes I wonder where this righteous anger is today. Amen? Because he's, he's angry about this false teaching and the attacks on Jesus and his person and his work. Now, it's important for us to remember, there is a difference between apostasy and backsliding. They're very different. What's a backslider? A backslider is a genuine Christian who stops walking with the Lord. Amen? You know, you know somebody, they were in church every time the door was open, prayed, witnessed, and all of a sudden they're gone. You go, <coughs> excuse me, what happened to so-and-so? And they say, well, they're just not walking with the Lord anymore. They've gotten caught up in some sin, and it usually happens this way. They slowly stop reading their Bibles. First sign. First sign. Talking about Jesus, praying, they get out of church. And they quit hanging around with other Christians. And it goes like that. I've been pastoring, um, wow, 35 years. And I can tell you when somebody gets out of church, it's never good. Now they will say to you, well, you know, I'm just taking a little sabbatical. Have you, have you ever seen sabbaticals turn into a really long time? When somebody gets out of church, <clears throat> it's never a good sign. Hanging around with other Christians, praying. Sad as it is to backslide, there is a road open to restoration by true repentance and confession. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> God says in Hosea, I will heal their what? Backsliding. I will love them freely. So backsliding can be healed. But now we come to apostasy. Apostasy is a total renunciation of the faith, including Jesus Christ, his person, and his work. The apostate is never really born again, but they have what Paul describes as a form of godliness, but denying the power that could make them godly. So they have a form. They look right, they seem right, they're in church often, but they're not born again. The Living Bible says they will go to church, yes, but they won't really believe anything they hear. Whoa, there are people like that in church now? Then why are they there? They like the fellowship, they like the potlucks, they like the music, 
They like that it's closer to their house. They like the social gatherings. They come for many reasons. Now, Jude is going to tell us tonight, one of the reasons they come is to undermine the real faith. So these are the types of people that Paul predicts will appear with increasing frequency in the last days. He says, now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last days, some are going to turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and watch this, teachings that come from demons. Let me ask you, do demons teach? Better believe they do. And so these people who are in the church but not of the church, they're in the church but they don't know the Lord of the church. And eventually they say for whatever reason, you know what, I'm out of here. This isn't for me. And they turn to false teaching, things taught by demons. And Paul doesn't mince words here. He says, these people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. Now, that's apostates. They're, they're not the real deal. Somehow, they've been around the word of God, the things of God, but they've never turned to God. They get close, but they don't go all the way in. And so uh, they don't last, and they, and they eventually leave. But when they leave, they also sometimes come back, but not to fellowship with the things of God, but to undermine the true faith. Apostates leave the true faith of which they were never truly a part, follow demonic teachings, and in turn teach others the same. These are the targets of Jude's letter. So let's pick it up in verse 12, where Jude is going to paint the apostates in really unpolitically correct terms. Amen? Don't you love it when somebody's not politically correct? Anybody in here hate political correctness like I do? Because you're fake and you're phony and you can't really say what you want. Political correctness is designed to muzzle people like us from saying the truth. Now, Look what he says in verse 12. These are spots in your love feasts while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. Now in Bible times, it was a sign of friendship and fellowship to sit at a table to eat together. It's the same with us today. I mean, hey, restaurants love it when churches get out because we head straight for the restaurants to buffet our bodies, right? Now, <laughs> now in this, Jude shows the devious nature of the apostates of his time, and they're the same today. They attended the church love feast, we would call them potlucks, whatever, sat down to eat with them, all the while undermining and betraying them and not believing a thing they said. The word spots. How would you like to be called a spot? Right? <clears throat> The word spots can be translated hidden rocks. It pictures a rock or a dangerous reef hidden just below the waves that causes a shipwreck as it approaches the shore. So the apostates shipwreck the lives of the gullible, and they do it all the time. They do it all the time. Do you know the success rate of just the Mormon church with formerly churched Christians? Do you know how successful they are? 
just knocking on the doors, going door to door. You see the little Mormon guys out there on their bicycles and white shirt and black tie, and they're, they just faithfully plug along, knocking on the doors, and, and they find they find victims, gullible people all the time. And, and they leave their churches to go into the Mormon church. How does that happen? Because they don't know their Bible. Oh, man, if there's ever a time, you got to know your Bible. It's now. That's why I'm teaching the Bible here on Wednesday nights. I want us to be biblically literate, not illiterate. Okay? Jude points out their brazen arrogance by saying they have no fear. Sitting there eating with you, chowing down. Hey, how you doing? God bless. Isn't God good? Oh, yeah. Chowing down. But all the time, they're looking for ways to undermine the faith once delivered to the saints. So everybody say to me, they make their way into the church. That's his point. They weasel their way into the church. All right? They infiltrate the church. And nowadays, they didn't have television, radio, books like we do today in Jude's day. So I'm going to tell you, they, they infiltrate the church by coming into your living room via Christian TV. Some of what's on Christian TV is Christian, and some of it is not Christian at all. And so how do they get in? They get into your living room, and you're sitting there listening. And if you don't know your Bible, and, and they go south and start teaching things about Christ and the Bible that aren't true, you don't know it. You're not going to know it unless you know your Bible. Okay, so Jude says, there they are, they're, they're arrogant, they're brazen, they're, there's no fear of God, no fear of judgment, no fear of discovery. They even go so far as to pass themselves off as pastors or shepherds or Bible teachers of the flock, but their goal is to undermine and destroy the faith once delivered to the saints, and that's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you are with me tonight? How many of you know this is true? Oh, yeah. I can't, listen, there's more false teachers out there today than I think at any time in history, mainly because of mass media. Now, in in summary, not to mention social media, computer, internet. Now, in summary, Jude says, first, they are confident imposters, deceivers of the first order. That's the apostates. That's the false teachers. That's who he's aiming this at. And Jude's angry about it. He said, man, I love Jesus. I love what he taught. I love what he did. He died for me. And these guys are undermining that. And so I'm, I'm angry with a righteous anger about this. Now, Next, he's going to use four striking metaphors to describe them. His metaphors will, will explain why the followers of these apostates always end up disappointed, disillusioned, and distressed in the end. In the end, they always end up feeling like, man, this has not delivered what I thought it was going to deliver at all. I'm disappointed. Let's look. He says, first of all, number one, here's the first metaphor. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds. Now, this is easy to understand. When we see a dark cloud, we expect it to pour forth refreshing rain. Amen? Oh, we look up there, and here comes this this great big dark cloud, and especially if it's in the middle of an August Texas summer. 
We say, all right, here it comes. Okay? And in a time of drought, there's nothing more welcome than a rain cloud on the horizon that looks that way. But Jude says, while to others, the false teachers appear to be clouds bringing rain of spiritual refreshing, they soon discover that these apostates bring no rain at all. You hang around long enough, you'll see they're empty. Their message is bereft of truth and God's blessing. They, they make a great first impression. They're smooth talkers. Y'all mind if I talk this way? Okay. I mean, I mean, I've been around a long time. They're smooth talkers as the song, smooth operators. They're slick as oil. They're slick, smooth, distinguished, uh, articulate, uh, winning, charismatic, magnetic, convincing, persuasive. And you go, wow, they have to be right. They just come over so good. And, they, and it, we're suckers for this. They look good. If somebody looks good, they got 90% of your attention right there. They come over on TV good. They have a large following. They have a smooth voice. They, they seem intelligent. Clouds, dark clouds that look like they promise water. But so you go, you go and you begin to listen to them and you begin to follow them. You begin to send them your money, which is what most of them are after. Send me your hundred dollar check and God's going to give you $10,000 before this year is out. You know how I know they don't really believe it because they don't go empty their own bank accounts. If I'm telling you, Hey, I've got a word from God that if you give into this ministry, say a hundred dollars, he's going to multiply it back to you a hundredfold. If I really believe that, I'm saying to my wife, honey, go empty out our bank account and put it in this ministry because that's an investment yielding high interest. But they don't, do they? Now, I'm not talking about all of them. Some of them are very legitimate, good people. I'm not talking about all of them. But there are scammers out there that, that do this in the name of the Lord. And they're really good at it. And, and when you listen to them, it's, it's almost always about money. It never ends without a big spiel about money and promises that if you give to them, you're going to get back this incredible return. But if you go interviewing the people that gave to them, you find out that that's not what happened with them at all. But, but, but the, the teachers of it are getting very rich. Okay? Peter talked about this. And Jude talks about this. This isn't Jeff Wickwire. I'm quoting the Bible. Okay? Those who say that godliness is material gain. And the Bible says, from such, withdraw yourself. So anyway, I don't want to get off on that. But they promise, they promise rain. You, You look up, man, I'm going to get blessed if I follow this person. But Jude says, it's a sham. He says, the truth is they're driven by the wind, by uncertain winds, not anchored in spiritual stability. Their message never saves, satisfies, or sanctifies. Never. It instead deceives and disillusions and destroys. Folks, can you say with me, I know that's out there. I know it's out there. I know it is. It's out there. So much stuff that we're exposed to 
is a sort of a twisted, skewed, Americanized form of Christianity that won't preach in other places in the world. And here's what I believe. If it's the real gospel of Jesus Christ, it'll preach anywhere, anytime, to anybody, in any condition. I came tonight loaded for bear. I hope you're ready to receive it. I'm just preaching Jude here, teaching Jude. Now, the next metaphor that Jude provides, look at this, late autumn trees without fruit, describing these apostates, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Now, the expression without fruit, or as the King James Version will put it, whose fruit withereth, refers to trees that bear no fruit when they should bear fruit. Okay, Um, there's always, folks, this happens with teaching. You're like right now, I'm sowing seed into you, the seed of the word of God. It's gonna go into the fertile soil of your soul. And if it's the real word of God and it's taught balance, rightly dividing the word of truth, then it's gonna bring forth a harvest of fruit in you in its season. Be not weary in well-doing for in due season you shall reap. If you don't faint. So there's a sowing, a waiting, and then a reaping. His point is the teaching of these false teachers, when they teach it, it's sown. But when the time for it bringing forth fruit arrives and there should be fruit, there's not any. There's not any because it wasn't the real word of God. Okay? This is why Jesus said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Ravenous. He said, you'll know them by what, everybody? Say it out loud. Their fruit. You'll know them by their fruit, not their talk, not their walk, uh, but, but the result of their teaching and their lifestyle. You'll know them by the fruit. And then Jude goes on, they're also twice dead. Man, bad enough to be once dead. But these cats are twice dead. Now watch this. He means not only are they born spiritually dead like all of us, we're born in sin, shaped in iniquity, that's why we need to be born again. But when they're offered eternal life through Jesus Christ, they spurn it. So they're twice dead. Twice dead. Jude says... They'll be plucked up by the roots. I'm going to go ahead and tell you what that means straight up. There's no hope for them. They're they're done. They're not only dead, but they're damned. Remember Jesus' words? He said the same thing. Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted shall be what, everybody? Rooted up. Or as Jude says, plucked up by the roots. In other words, there comes a time when God just... Sees that's never going to bear fruit. It's never going to be right. They're never going to repent. So I'm just going to pluck them up by the roots. We deal with a very real God. Come on, everybody. Amen. Say with me, it's a fearful thing. Let's try it again. Everybody, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God unless you're on good terms through Jesus Christ. So there you go. They, they are clouds without rain, 
They are late autumn trees without fruit. Now comes metaphor number three. He's not done yet. He wants to be sure we get it. So he says, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wow. Do you get the idea? He doesn't like these folks. Amen. Now, raging waves of the sea can only mean one thing. They are dangerous. False teachers are dangerous. People that misrepresent Christ are dangerous. People that don't teach you the word of God accurately are dangerous. Raging waves leave sunken ships in their wake. Raging waves routinely destroy whole towns during terrible storms. Apostates are dangerous just like that. The word raging is from a Greek word meaning wild waves. It means nobody can tame them. It can also mean savage or fierce. The Greeks use the same word to describe a malignant wound. So this is God's description of apostates. And it's a terrible description. It's, it's really a, a serious, somber description. He doesn't like people that twist the word. All right? Um, you got to be so careful who you listen to. Are you careful who you listen to? I know you're here tonight, but I know I'm not the only one you listen to. Are you careful? Do you ever sit there and say, you know, are they really teaching the word of God? Is this balanced? Does this jive with the Bible I know? Um, Or are they kind of getting out there? Have you ever asked yourself that? Do you ever test the spirits to see whether they are of God? They foam out their own shame. The word he uses here occurs only here. And it comes from a root word meaning to foam at the mouth like a rabid dog. They foam at the mouth like a rabid dog. They are like a rabid animal coming after you to bite you, to hurt you. Have you ever thought about that? Now we come to the last metaphor. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Jude, we're kind of starting to get that these are bad people. Okay, wandering stars. And and what is waiting for them? The blackness of darkness forever. Darkness that you can feel, it's so dark. Darkness that is so black and dark, you can feel it. That's the idea. Now, this, this verse, this metaphor, speaks to the eternal doom of the apostate. Jew likens them to wandering stars. Now, a little bit of science here. This amazed me as I dug it up. In the natural, all stars move. How many of you watched the blood moon the other night? Did you even know there was a blood moon? Okay. All right. But, you know, in the natural, you look out there at the sky and all those twinkling stars, those endless stars, they all move. Our own sun is a moving star. It's located, now let me give you some numbers, blow your mind, this is hard to wrap your head around, but here's the truth. This, this is the glory of God. This is what God created. It's located, our sun, about 30,000 light years from the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Our sun is only one of a cluster of some 100 billion stars that inhabit this corner of space alone. Everybody say staggering, Staggering. amazing, 
awesome, unbelievable, but true. Now, let me go a little heavier. The whole galaxy, some 600 million billion miles of stars. I'm going to say that again. I don't know how many zeros that is. But our galaxy alone, now there's many, many galaxies beyond ours. I'm talking about ours. Some 600 million billion miles of stars is revolving around a center. Although it's traveling through space at an inconceivable speed, our own sun will complete its own orbit once every 200 million years. (laughs) The heavens declare the glory of God. Amen? The firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day they utter speech, and night unto night they show forth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Psalms 19. So so now, keeping that in mind, and that Jude called these false teachers wandering stars, I'm going into this thing about other stars so you can get the contrast. When God created the stars, he appointed their courses. He gave them their names, and the Bible tells us he counted them. Now, now God counted them. God counted in our galaxy alone 600 million billion miles of stars. And named them. I mean, I'm running out of names after 10 stars. He named them. That's Psalms 147, verse 4. Isn't the Bible amazing? Now, why did he make the stars? Why? When we look out there, why did he make them? Here's why. To witness to God as creator and as redeemer. Because once again, as creator, the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his creative handiwork. Day unto day they utter speech. Well, what is their speech? What are they saying? They're saying there is a God. They are testifying to God. There is a God. That's what they're saying. They preach. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. If you're in a major city like Dallas, Fort Worth, New York City, whatever, looking up at the stars, or you're out in the middle of nowhere looking at the stars, they teach They preach, they declare the reality and glory of God. The Bible also says they are for signs and they are for seasons. So in other words, when God made the stars, they had a purpose. They had a divine purpose. And every star out there is slowly but surely revolving around in a circle, and I believe God's at the center. They are subservient to God and his will. All right? And, and, and now, here's the contrast. So here comes Jude and he says, but not these false teachers. They are not like normal stars. They are wandering. They wander. In other words, they're not submitted. 
They're not subservient to God. They are in rebellion against God. They don't declare the glory of God. They're doing their own thing, going their own way. They're unlike normal stars. So when you contrast normal stars to these, this description of these false teachers, we see where he's going. Jude is interested in the wandering stars. The apostates are like wandering stars with no ordered course. Check out their life. They're not submitted to God. They're submitted to their own lusts and desires. They're not submitted to God. Um, you know, really, folks, there's only two kinds of people in the world. And I hate to overly simplify, but it's true. And, and here's the, two, the difference between the two. One type of person submits to God, wants his will, seeks him, is subservient to him. They have been born again. They, they long to serve him. The other type person wants nothing to do with him. They're not submitted to him at all. They, they hate him. They want to go their own way. They are wandering stars, unlike normal stars. Maybe Jude was thinking of shooting stars. They appear briefly in the night sky, only to quickly disappear into the black darkness of space. They're gone. They're there and they're gone. I'd rather be one hanging around. I want to hang in the night sky. I want to shine for Jesus all the days of my life. I don't want to be a bright flash and then I'm gone. Amen. Amen. Now, next, Jude is given a flash of revelation by the Holy Spirit not found anywhere else in the Bible. We're switching gears now. Look at verse 14. He's going to refer to Enoch. Now, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, prophesied about these men, these false teachers, then and now. He prophesied about them, saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Now, I want to stop right there and deal with the first half of this verse. Who's Enoch? This is not the Enoch of the Apocrypha. This is the Enoch of the Old Testament. Enoch was a prophet in the earliest of biblical times. He was the seventh descendant from Adam. So he's very close to the beginning of time. If you just went seven seven men in front of him and you're at Adam. So he was way back in, in, in antiquity. He was before Moses. He was before Abraham. He was before all of this. He's all the way back in the beginning of time, Enoch, way back there. Now, Enoch sired a son, and he named him Methuselah, whose name means when he dies, that is Methuselah, it shall come. Well, what's the it? The great flood. The great flood, because already in Enoch's time and his son Methuselah's time, it says, Every imagination in the hearts of men was wicked. They had rejected God. They had gone into abject sin and darkness and transgression and bondage. And judgment is racing towards them. And so God takes this prophet Enoch, and Enoch has a son. And Enoch, because he's prophetic, he says, I'm going to name my son Methuselah. And here's the deal. When he dies, judgment will fall, and it will be the great flood. 
So we could say that Methuselah was like the human hourglass of God. As each birthday of his 969 years, that's how long he lived, 969. I mean, these people started having kids when they were 100, right? But as each birthday of his 969 years sifted by, the judgment of the great flood drew closer. Every birthday, the judgment of the the great flood drew closer. When he died, we know for a fact from Bible history, when he died shortly thereafter, the great flood struck. When he died, it came. Now, his daddy, Enoch, the father of Methuselah, saw the coming of the Lord thousands of years before the time. He was a prophet. And he saw the Lord returning with 10,000s of his saints. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to be in there. Turn to your neighbor and tell him you're going to be in there. Don't look at me and say it. Tell your neighbor. I want you to catch the reality of this. Now, he prophesied, he said, now, the Lord's going to return with 10,000s of his saints. What return is that? It's the second coming. Because when the Lord returns with, with his saints, it's going to be to judge, and I'm going to get to that in just a moment. So that then assumes the rapture has already happened. When the Lord returns with his saints, he can't do it unless he has first come for his saints. He comes for his saints first, and he comes with them second. He's going to come get you. I hope you don't mind flying. Because in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the sound of the last trump, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Why the dead first? Because they got six feet further to go than you do. All right. Yeah, a little fun there. Now, the dead in Christ are going first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together, caught up together with them, with them, with them. There's mom, there's dad, there's grandpa, there's so-and-so, with them, in the clouds. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, we go up, and then seven years later, down. Enoch saw the second one. He said, the Lord is coming with 10,000s of his saints. And then Enoch predicts why he is coming. And this is where it gets real serious. Look at verse 15, to execute judgment on all. When he comes back with the church, the raptured, redeemed, blood-bought church, when he comes back, he's coming to judge the world. And by the way, church, we're talking about Jesus here. He will be the judge. Remember when he told his disciples, God has committed all judgment. How much judgment? All judgment. To who? His son. So Jesus is going to be the judge. And that includes several judgments. Let me show you three of them real quick. Jesus will judge, first of all, at the judgment seat of Christ, the bima, the bima, the judgment seat of Christ. And what happens there? Talked about in 1 Corinthians 3. You ought to read it. That's where our works will be reviewed by Jesus. And our status in the millennial kingdom will be determined by that review. 
Now hear me tonight. Do you think it matters whether or not you move in the gift God has gifted you with? Do you think it matters whether or not you give time to God's service for the glory of God? Did he call us to be bench warmers, pew warmers, pew sitters, to sit on our blessed assurance every time we're in church and do nothing? Uh Uh-uh, no. Because what's he going to review? What's he going to review, 1 Corinthians 3? He says, every man's work is going to be tried by fire. Of what sort the work was. If your work survives the fire, it'll be deemed gold, silver, and precious stones. And you receive a reward. If it turns out to be not good work, that is, works that were to the glory of God in obedience to Christ for the furtherance of his kingdom. If they're deemed to be wood, hand, stubble, they're burned up. But you are saved, yet so as by fire, translated the revised wickwire slanted version. That means you get in by the skin of your chinny, chin, chin. But no reward. No reward. Now, if we serve him faithfully on earth, then we receive crowns, we receive rewards, and we are given a certain position in the millennial kingdom when Christ rules the earth. Now, this is getting heavy and deep, but this is what, I'm, what I want you to understand. Amen. We're, we're going to be rewarded. And, and well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. You've been faithful over little. I will make you, say it with me, ruler over much. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the redeemed who served him well on earth. I'm so thankful I, that by the grace of God, I was saved young. Because I've been able to live most of my life serving God. But by the grace of God, hey, I'd have been out of this a long time ago, but for the grace of God. But the grace of God kept me, and I was able to start as, as a teenager. But you know, whenever he touches you, whenever he saves you, that's the time you need to get in the program and realize that how you serve him now decides what you do in eternity. Everybody say heavy, heavy. Now, that's the first judgment, and it's G- Jesus will be the judge. Here's the second one. That's the second coming. Jesus, when he comes in the second coming with us, his saints, he's going to judge the nations. Read it in Matthew 25. This judgment is going to take place in the valley of Jehoshaphat in Jerusalem. And it's going to determine who will be allowed to enter the millennial kingdom. Remember it says he separates the sheep from the goats. And the goats go to the left, the sheep go to the right. And it's a picture. It's, it's letting us know that when he comes in the second coming, he, he's going to sift through. This is when the wheat are going to be separated from the tares that are allowed to grow next to each other until the judgment. So Jesus is the judge of the second coming. But then finally, at the close of the thousand-year millennium, he will gather the lost of all ages to the great white throne judgment. And if you were to ask me, Pastor Jeff, what is the scariest part of the Bible in your opinion? I would tell you without fail, without having to think about it, Revelation 20, 11 to 15. That's the scariest part of the Bible to me. Because it says, the small and the great are given up 
to God. Our, our, it says, death and Hades spew up the dead that are in them. And every human being that has ever lived in sin and didn't turn to God and didn't receive his righteousness is going to be judged. And it's just a, it's just a scary portion of scripture. And it's this great white throne judgment at the end of the millennium to which the apostates are going to be summoned. Now, I want us to look at one reason why Jesus returns. Look at this. Here comes judgment, everybody. Everybody say judgment. Judgment. He says he's coming to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Four times in half a verse, he uses the word ungodly. So what does ungodly mean? It means to act disrespectfully or irreverently toward what should be regarded as sacred. Now I've told you here on Wednesday nights, that one of the signs of a reprobate culture that is really walking away from God is they no longer treat sacred things with greater respect than they do non-sacred. In other words, there's nothing sacred anymore to a falling culture. There's nothing with any more value. Who cares about church? Who cares about the Bible? Who cares about Christ? Doesn't mean anything to me. The apostates and the ungodly of our time and times past care nothing for what is sacred. They cannot discern between the natural and the holy. They stomp on and despise what is precious to God. Remember when Jesus said, don't cast your pearls, that is the precious things of God in your life, don't cast them before swine. Swine are the ungodly. Because what will the swine do? What will the ungodly do with the sacred, holy, precious things of God you share with them? What will they do? He says they will trample them under their feet because they don't care about sacred things when you're lost. I didn't. When I was lost, I didn't care about anything sacred. I wouldn't have known sacred if it had bit me. The ungodly cannot appreciate the value of what is of God. They will always abuse it. The person of Christ, folks, the truth of scripture and the work of the Holy Spirit, the blood-bought church, all these things should be regarded as sacred. I consider my Bible sacred. Amen. It's sacred to me. It's not like any other book in the world to me. I've kissed that book. I've hugged that book. I've wept on that book. It's sacred to me. If you get out there and you stomp on one of the books I've written, oh, I'm gonna be a little offended. You stomped on one of my books. But if I see you stomping on the Bible, Ooh, that's sacred to me. But the ungodly, they, they sully and they soil these things. So here's what Jude is telling us. Like a dreaded movie they don't want to see. Jesus will bring before the eyes of the apostates a replay of all their ungodly deeds, their ungodly decisions, and their wicked lifestyles. And let's go further. He will play back to them, according to Jude, all the evil things they spoke against Jesus Christ himself. And Jude calls it harsh things. And oh gosh, let me, let me just for a minute go here. These very things are happening. I don't know if you noticed, I have. 
with increasing frequency in our generation. Sacred things, holy things, Christ himself are routinely mocked and maligned on national TV and other mass mediums all the time. Have you noticed vile curse words that used to be reserved for private behind closed doors discussions are regularly blurted on television for millions to hear, including children. Now I'm going to go, I hope I don't offend anybody, but I got to just share my disappointment. When the Patriots won, I'm not talking about them winning, but they went up to the quarterback and they said, what do you think? You're going to your ninth Super Bowl. What do you think? What did he think to say? He, he uttered a vile curse word. And, and we know that the ratings for that game were the highest in a long time. People all over the world were watching him. Children who consider him a hero were watching and listening. And, and with all the blessing that God has allowed this man to have, he comes off with a vile curse word. In this short sentence, I thought, how disappointing. Come on. In 2007, one so-called comedian, just to give you another example, on receiving an Emmy Award, made a vile, blasphemous reference to Jesus Christ, cursed him on national TV, and then, holding up her Emmy, said the Emmy statue was her God after cursing Christ. And so rather than howling and protesting, getting up and walking out, the audience laughed and clapped with Christ cursed. Now I'm going to tell you, 40 years ago, that would not have gotten by. Now here's what Jude is telling us. Unless she repents, for example, those horrible words that she spoke, against Christ in front of the whole world will one dark day be played back on her ear by the very Christ she blasphemed. Ooh. I I hear these people cursing Christ. Oh, Jesus, please help me. Help them. They don't know that's going to come back. It's going to be played back. According to Jude, it's going to be played back. Now we're about to finish. All right? Jude now sums up his disgust and revulsion at the words and the deeds of the apostates. And he's going to finish up with just a few more zingers. Verse 16. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. Grumblers are people expressing discontent. They grumble in secret against Christ. Complainers are those who constantly gripe about their lot in life. Oh, if only I had a better job, a better spouse, a better kid, better looks, better this, better that, better paycheck. I just don't, where's God? I'm so sick of this and I'm tired of life and life stinks and so do I. Do you know that it was complaining that doomed Israel in the wilderness? Uh, then he says their walk or their lifestyle is aimed at fulfilling their own lusts, their, their lowest depraved desires. What are they pursuing every day? To fulfill their own lusts. And then finally he says they talk big. They talk with great swelling words. They talk big. But in truth, they undermine all sound teaching. Their goal is to gain the admiration of others. They want to be somebody. It's all about them and not about Christ. Okay, everybody say Amen.
Jude is now finished with his impassioned exposure of apostasy in the church. Do you think he was feeling it? Do you, do you get that he was really bothered here? But now, next time, he turns to us, the true church, with some very welcome words when he says, but you, beloved, let me tell you how to survive in an apostate age and go to glory intact. Amen. Amen. Can we stand together? If you're glad you came to church tonight, say amen or oh me. Amen. I know that was strong stuff. It is strong, but you know what? It's the Bible. Now, God put that in his holy book, not just to put more pages in, but so that we would read it and understand, wow, false teaching is dangerous stuff, bad stuff, and we need to be careful of it. Amen? Amen. What is the, as just quick question, what is the solution to false teaching. How do you avoid being stuck by false teaching, fooled by false teaching? How do you do it? You got to know your Bible. You got to know your Bible. Got to know your Bible. You got to know your Bible. The better you know it, you go, you hear one of these people, you go, wait a minute. I don't see that here. Wait a minute. And right there, you're spared. You're protected. Let's lift our hands. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your watch care over us. Lord, thank you for giving us this powerful letter that we're going to finish next time. Thank you, Lord, for the warnings of Jude about apostates, false teachers, false prophets, misrepresenters of Christian truth, phonies and fakes and frauds and scammers. Help us, Lord, to know your word better than we know any book on earth. And Lord, help us to be wise and discerning in this dark and backslidden and apostate generation. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's let's just sing a worship.